Welcome back, everybody. It's time once again for another episode of Church Hurts and the good, the bad, and the ugly about church, religion, and spirituality today with a dash of recovery thrown in along the way. So if you've ever had questions about the church, maybe become a bit jaded in your attitude towards religion in general, then you've come to the right place. Because today, well, we're going to tackle it all. we got a show that's entitled Messy, Confusing, and Personal. Leaving our host an unlimited amount of ways to get into trouble on that one. <laughs> and our host, well, you know him. He's an honors philosophy grad, ordained a Presbyterian minister, and planted three churches along the way. He even taught at a prestigious megachurch and for a while served as an executive coach. But now... Well, now he's just an aging curmudgeon who never quits asking the one question, the only question, the question on everybody's mind. Why? Why not bring him in? Dr. John Bash, welcome, sir. Are you a good host or hostess? If you aren't sure of that answer, let me tell you how you can figure it out. Do people like coming to your house when you were hosting? Is it a fun time had by all? Now, let me tell you a secret. I've come to believe that there's a direct inverse proportion between how much time you take fussing to make everything perfect before people come over and the degree of fun that people have. How many of you felt at ease when grandma pulled off the plastic covers from her treasured, meticulously upholstered furniture so you could make yourself comfortable how about those decorative candles and embroidered hand towels in the guest bath aren't they charming years ago i read an article telling people to go around and light all the candles in the house and blow them out before people came over who feels comfortable seeing someone light a fresh new candle that's been sitting as a decoration for an unknown number of months i've already made a category leap in this opening monologue did you catch it I started by asking if you were a good host or hostess, and then what did I do? I switched to talking about your home and details, which can easily get our attention. Furniture, towels, candles. Let's go backwards. What about you? Are you a person people want to hang with? Is your hair done right? Do you wear nice clothes? What about you draws people in, and what about you gives people a deep desire to be lonely? Today, we have as a guest someone who is laughing because he understands everything I've said so far, as bizarre as my thinking has been. I'm really not sure what he is an expert in. He doesn't have a ton of impressive degrees. His book sales have fallen through the floor since his mother died. But for some unknown reason, people like to be around him and even listen to his wise advice. Rich Hurst, welcome to Church Earth and... Hey, John, thanks so much. I got to tell you, it's an honor for me to be here. Um, I've known you for a lot of years. I've watched you know, a lot of those roles that Paul talked about. One of my most memorable days ever oh, was no. when I got a call from you and said they just took over the church. Do you remember <laughs> that day? <laughs> just oh, like it was man. yesterday. Oh. And uh, you were the teaching pastor at a very prestigious mega church, and the church elders merged with some others, right? And there's the story's kind of history, but I remember that day like it was yesterday. I remember that call, and uh, I just have admired you for years. I've admired your journey, 
some of it's been painful. And I think uh, hopefully you've admired mine and some of it's been painful for you too. Man, talk about a cut to the chase. I mean, one of the most painful days of my life. That was awful. Well, you're just cutting to the chase. Well, you know, you're a skeptic and a cynic underneath your sweet side. So I kind of want to know, how did you get to end up believing all that Jesus stuff and being a church guy? Yeah, I don't know about uh, skeptic and cynic as much as realist. I think for me, there's always a third way, right? There's not the right way or the left way or, the you know, the Protestant way or the reformed way or the catholic there's always a third way and so for me how i got to the jesus part was i saw jesus actually unbelievably work in my life there were moments when when god showed up and jesus showed up and there's no way to explain it there's no way to to figure it out other than just go you know what god just showed up in my life and so as much as stuff around me has caused me as a realist to doubt or to be disappointed or to be angry uh, this last week, I was talking with a friend of mine that, you know, she and her husband are going through a horrible situation and news media and church and all that stuff. And, and I just said, you know what? I still feel the presence of God. And I know you feel the presence of God. And as much as this hurts, I feel the presence of God and see the work of God in my life and yours. So I think, John, for me, it's been actually experiencing the presence of God in moments that most of us would want to explain away to then or to look at someone else and ask him to be god in our life and he's not or she's not god's god in our life well you know you know there is a connection to how you started um you know talking about when i was in a big church you were at a really big church take us back to the 90s you were serving in the crystal cathedral um, and so I want, I just want to hear, this is OC talk radio. So we, we kind of, we want to hear a funny story about Bob Schuler. What was it like working with that dude? Well, Bob was a great guy. I mean, and honestly, he was, he cared about what he did, cared about people who just needed to hear that God loved them. That's all I cared about. I mean, he was an evangelist. That's what he was. And unfortunately, you know, things didn't work out the way that he had hoped. Um, I, I was only there for a few years with my friend Bruce Larson, and uh, you know it was it was a it was an interesting place to work because you had the local congregation, and then you had the international congregation, and we had 16 million viewers, and um, it, it's fun for me to watch uh, Bobby Jr. now as he kind of does the the shepherd place because he's doing a, he's like he's like his granddad reinvented. And he's the real deal, and he's a great guy. So it's, it's fun for me to see that. So funny story. My favorite story with Bob was I went up to the 12th floor to the office, and I was talking with Bob, and I said, uh, Bob, Dr. Schuler, I said, uh, I'm going to put a sign on Lewis Street. We need a new sign. He said, you know, that's a great idea. Because he loved building things. He said, what's the sign going to say? Well, I said, I'm going to put a sign that says family owned and operated for 40 years. He used to love to hit the table. He hit the table. He said, Rich, that's not funny. I go, well, I know. We need to talk about this. But, you know, he loved his family. He loved God. And he did a great, great thing at times for the kingdom. And, you know, that's I love to remember that. Where there weird stuff that happened, every church there's strange stuff that goes on. And uh, so, anyway, that 
you know, him hitting the table like he would hit the table whenever he'd liked or didn't like an idea was wonderful. You know, I had heard, because I'd watch him, and I just thought, I'd, I'd look at him, I'd say, the guy's nuts. I mean, he did not communicate normally. You know, it was so, and a friend of mine said, no, you don't understand. You go meet with him in his office, and that's the way he is in person. He's that kind of a big character. But somehow along the way, you've seemed to avoid becoming a senior pastor. Yet when you are around senior pastors, you're a leader among them. Now, what's the story about this? How did you get so wise? Uh, wise is a lot of years, as you can see. Any wisdom that's real wisdom is from God. It's not yours anyway. So when God gives you a thought or a saying or a writing or something, it's just God's wisdom. And I prayed for that, but I, I had great mentors. My dad was, was always looked to for wisdom. People looked to him. I worked for a guy named Frank Tillipaw for a long, you know, part of his ministry. And he saw the church different than anybody has ever seen it, still to this day. Uh, and then I had the chance to work with a guy named Norman Krebs, who was the chair of the philosophy department at Whitworth. And Norman is not anybody anybody would know, but he took three years. He was a, he was a um, Francis Schaeffer expert. And he took three years, and he took me through every book of Francis Schaeffer's. Every wow. week we sat down and went through, and he made sure— this kid with no seminary degree, he made sure that I understood the thing that he wanted to transfer. Then I went to work for a guy named Bruce Larson. And Bruce Larson, in, you know, in the 70s and 80s, was, was a really, really insightful man. And uh, so I had a chance to do that. Um, and I've had a chance, you know, to work with other people like Bob Schuler. Or, you know, one of the big influences in my life was a guy named Terry Hershey, you know, who really, you know, Help me understand things. So all I've tried to do is parrot them, and especially Bruce Larson. Every time you talk to him, he took something and he immediately took it and turned it over. Said, "Look at it from the bottom side," and he had a way of doing that, of reframing the question, of reframing the issue. That was unbelievable. And so, so I've tried to share that with people. You're, you're talking about the good side. That's the good side of the church. You're talking about names and people that most of us don't know, but those are the people who poured themselves into you. But you also saw the seedy side. Uh, you've been around the church. I mean, tell me about the dirt too. Yeah, well, there's plenty of dirt. It's a, it's a it's an institution that's rifled and and just with you know people's sin, the my sin, your sin. And I think, that you know, um, people are always going to be people. People are always going to, um, people are always going to disappoint you. And so if you're looking at people as the people who are going to help you do something, they're going to disappoint you. I want to apologize to your listeners. So I had to be in an airport for this, this uh, recording. So, I mean, there's the, there's the sin side and power, position. Okay, tell me, tell me, a, tell me a story. Take it out of theory. There, there's a man in your life who's been really important. Kind of seen the, the sin of the church, the downside, hit his life. Tell me about how you met this guy. You're talking about Frank? Yep. So, you know, uh, I met this guy because I came out of kind of the underworld where it was, you know, I, I came out of everything the 70s had to offer. So it was great. It wasn't great. I was, I was a drug addict. And uh, the ministry in Denver, Bear Valley Baptist, 
you know, it, it totally, it, it, it totally reached out to the disenfranchised. And I was one of those disenfranchised and they reached out to me and, and, and loved me and trusted me and gave me a chance to learn how to, to be a part of community. And um, that was great. Then he went through a time in his life where he just crashed. He made some bad relational choices, and he crashed. And everybody deserted him. Uh, we're seeing that all the time in the news, right? The minute some great leader, something happens, they, they cra- and everybody says, oh, yeah, and you desert him. What does it look like to be community? So I walked through for 10 or 15 years with him that time. And then we ended up publishing a book together, still my best-selling book, Calling. And now he lives in the mountains of Guatemala and is literally transforming as a missionary of sorts this community with the same philosophy that he used with what, what the first book he wrote, which was called The Church Unleashed. And uh, unbelievable stuff. I mean, unbelievable how, how you help every person in the church be the hands and feet of Christ, right? So anyway, that's that's the guy that, you know, it's tough to walk through the, the ugly stuff. It's not fun. There's another guy in your life that um, uh, has helped you understand the race issue years ago. You started pouring your life into that guy. Tell me about him. Yeah, that's, that's more recent. So I wasn't trying to jump to that. So, I, you know, I used to have a, um, used to have a ministry that the church that I worked for let me choose people out of college or seminary and spend one, two, three years with them, discipling them, training them, equipping them to be leaders. He was one of those leaders that I chose, and he is, was one of the stars, African-American uh, guy, and really I got a chance to be part of his wedding, he got a chance to be part of his, you know, dedicating his first child, all those stuff, still friends to this day. Recently he was asked to be uh, one of the lead pastors of a pretty cool church, and and uh, so uh, that was great. But the minute he became that, it, it's a multicultural church now. When I went there, it was all white. I started hiring people of different color in different places, so it became different, and not just me, but everybody then started doing that there. And um, so he got asked to be one of the lead pastors, and the minute it happened, they began to go through his social media stuff and look at the things he talked about. He's a, he's a black guy. In the wait, world wait. We live now. <clears throat> Let me just pause for a second and say, because you're really talking about that new dynamic that almost everybody feels. For, for me, it comes to the forefront when I see Supreme Court justices talk about, you know, can you imagine being vetted for Supreme Court justice? I mean, at this point, you have every speck in your life inspected, but almost everybody, you know, they go on and they're looking at social media and they're looking at things 10 years ago, 20 years ago, five years ago. Who knows what's going to come up, right? So yeah, what came well, up with this guy? Yeah. So, I mean, this thing goes to the marches, the Black Lives Matters marches and all that stuff. And, and when you're in a politically in charge environment, that can be a politically charged thing. And so, you know, that's what he was doing to support his community. That's who, you know, he should be. And, you know, is that a perfect organization? There's no perfect organization. It's perfectly not um, politically correct for me to even say that right now, but I'm saying it because there isn't. You know, this is a time when people are, you know, pushing the issue forward. You know, John, you've heard me talk about this, uh, this whole, that we're living in liminal times. Wait, wait, before you, before you get there, because I want to get there. So basically, though, 
this man was asked to kind of be a co-pastor of a very large church. It gets blown up because he ends up being associated with Black Lives Matter, which just in the last three, four months, the definition of what that is has changed if one watches their webpage. But people now, it's loaded with all kinds of things it wasn't even three months ago, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and again, you know, here's the thing. Let me just say this before we go on to anything else. As you go up the ladder, it's a reverse pyramid. As you take leadership roles up the ladder, you lose less of your personal freedoms. You just do. Right. If you right. if you don't want if you don't want to be responsible to all kinds of rights and left people, you know, people who are Democrats, people who are Republicans, stay down at the low. Stay down at the bottom. You'll have all your personal freedoms. If you're gonna be a senior pastor, if you're gonna be a leader, you're gonna to have to, to to discipline your personal freedoms. And if you don't want to do that, don't be a leader. Don't be a senior pastor. And, you know, what I want, though, is I want a group of what I wish for in church is community that comes around their senior leadership and doesn't desert their senior senior leadership. We're not perfect. We're not. And uh, so that's for me, it's been hard to watch him be, um, you know, really scrutinized for being who he should be and who he is. But he also then has to take responsibility. And he's going to have to learn that there are going to be things that he can't do anymore that he could do before. Finding balance when you want to get angry and you want to yell, and, and particularly when it's personal like it is for you with him. You want to just go and shake people, I know. But it connects to what I interrupted you. You, you were going to transfer. I think you got the whole liminal times um, idea. I'd probably steal out of Richard Rohr, but that's such a helpful category. Talk to us about that. Yeah, so I love this word, liminal times. I haven't read Richard's yet. I'd love to read his stuff, so point me to where it is. I, You know, this whole idea of liminal times, is, the word is great because the word means what was is no more, and we don't know what the future is going to hold. So liminal times looks like, um, you know, 1918, we had the Spanish flu, right? And it totally rocked the world. Who, st- who stepped up? Who stepped up? It was the church that stepped up. That's a whole other story. 1930, the markets crashed. Took It's taken decades, and there's still been little crashes. And then 1968, the race wars. We did all that in two and a half months in the world, in the, la- in, in the last two, you know, in two and a half months. And so everybody is fractured. So what does it look like for us to be leaders? What does it look like for us to be community? What does it look, look like? What's it look like for us to care for each other? It doesn't look like cowering in fear. It doesn't look like being an idiot and going to uh, the COVID party. There's a third way. It's not cowering in fear. It's not being an idiot. It's being embracing your life in the new world that we live in. That, that really takes um, just even embracing the liminal concept of, of acknowledging, oh, I, can, I'm gonna, I have to need to accept the fact that it's not going to be what it was and that what feels really safe as we look back now and go, ooh, okay, not going to be that way. And we don't know what's ahead. I mean, just even realizing that that being scary and you're not alone in that, that there is there is some things you're going to know. And part of that's grabbing on to some people around you you trust, isn't it? Yeah, it is grabbing on to people you trust. And it's also during times you're saying, okay, let's make good decisions about who and where we go and, and how, we, you know, when I walk away from here, you know, I'll put a mask on because that's, that's something that's a reasonable thing to do. Um, I'll sit away or stand away from people. It's a reasonable thing. So I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about not not 
covering yourself in fear and right. hiding from the world that God has put us in. I love it when you look at the Spanish flu. Who made a difference in the Spanish flu were the believers who stepped up and said, I'm going to care for people. And it's not going to be easy. And it's not going to be fun. You, know, you and I talked a little bit about that in reference to, you know, a few years ago, I got a call from my daughter saying, hey, dad, uh, you know, uh, my friend is uh, my friend Ruthie's pregnant. And uh, I'd like you to, you know, to talk to her. And I said, uh, oh, okay. So, few, you know, a few hours later, I get a call, and it's this young lady. And she said, I don't know what I'm going to do. My mom and dad are going to put me in a, you know, home someplace. And she said, I just, I don't want, and I said, you know what you're going to do? You're going to come live with us. Wow. We don't know what that looks like. And you're going to come live with us. And for the next eight months, this wonderful kid came. I took her to college every day because she was still in college. Drove her there, drove her back, drove her to the hospital where she had this baby. You know, it was an amazing experience, but it wasn't fun and it wasn't easy. I think that's what God calls us to. I'm not saying, hey, you should be like me to do that. I'm simply saying we're going to have to step out of our comfort zone. So I think you're saying that people really can, like, change even deep down in times like this for the good. I mean, for you, we can talk all the church theory we want. Well, I bet you you're the one that got more out of that than she did. Oh, that's totally. how still am. Yeah, still totally the person, even more so than my rest of my family. So, yeah, I totally, it totally, that, that's faith for me. That's living the faith and experiencing the faith. My friend Frank Topa, who was my great mentor, when we looked at, you know, what it looks like to, to literally help us all do that, there are like three things we thought. If, if we focus on the church, we miss the whole point. Because it's about the kingdom, right? It's about being kingdom people. How can I be a kingdom person? Today? We focus on the clergy. I was telling uh, Paul, your your producer, your your David Foster in your life. I was telling him <laughs> that uh, you know uh, you're my cousin's a priest. He took my book calling to uh, the papal, papal committee he was on, and after that he got put on the the circus uh, as the as the, as the uh, priest of the circus for two years for taking a Protestant book to a papal committee. You know, that's the dark side. He said, I'm not giving your book out to anybody else, Rich. But, but if you focus on the priest, it's sacerdotalism. It's a sacred thing. That, you know, it's not, you want to focus on, on the person. Every person has a, a gift and something that God wants to, you know, use for them. And then if you focus on the message versus the method, it's a whole different deal. The message is, I love you. I believe in you. No matter what you're going through, I'll walk through it with you. If you try to do the method, you look at all these churches, the method is, let's crucify everybody anytime they're going through something. So what I want to do is I want to take it back to the message, the message of, I came, that no matter what's gone on in your life, I'll be there. No matter who's done something to you, I'm more trustworthy than them. And no matter what, you have a future. So that's, that's where I want to be. Well, well, Rich, I, I need to wrap it up. and But just, you know, thank you not just for being here, but for the friend you've been for a lot of years. If if I really, um, well, you told the story to begin with, and I really got in trouble, I know to call you. But as I think of this, and as I thought about it ahead of time, I realized that acceptance is one of those words which could launch a thousand ships. Um, that's from 1604, Christopher Marlowe's play, The Tragical History of Dr. Faustus. Well, 
that sounds so much like Dr. Fauci came to mind, the tragical history. Anyway, in that play, we hear the famous line, was this the face that launched a thousand ships? Mm. He was referring, of course, to Helen of Troy, and that could send us down a really fun bunny trail into Greek mythology, but I think I'd be the only one interested. Still, I think Helen of Troy may be replaced in our lives by the word acceptance, acceptance the face that launched a thousand ships. So consider for a moment before we leave, before change can occur, there has to be acceptance, acknowledgement, awareness of the way things really are. And that doesn't mean we're going to like them. It doesn't mean that we have great feelings about them. It doesn't mean that it's good or bad. It just is. What do you need to accept? A natural antonym of acceptance is denial. And I don't mean the river in Egypt. When I was a church pastor, one of my favorite ceremonies was when people would officially join the church. Now, I know that many contemporary churches have thrown that tradition and the corresponding ceremony that goes with it out the window. I don't know the reasons, but yes, I do. Membership had become meaningless. People show their membership by showing up, not by signing on a dotted line and going through a ceremony. But I took another view. It's like the difference between marriage and living together. Signs, symbols, and signatures really can matter. Back to church membership ceremony. Sometimes I'd even wear a robe as these people stood in front of me. And I'd start the questions that they needed to answer. And it began with, do you admit you are a sinner? Whoa. And then went on to some real wonderful stuff. And a lot of people don't like that sin and sinner stuff. Let's get on to the good news. But you know what's so good about that sinner stuff? It explains the messy. It defines confusing. We keep messing up. We do things we shouldn't do even when we don't want to do it. It's nuts. Why? Because we're nuts. We're people. People in recovery programs like to talk about it another way. They admit they are powerless over alcohol or drugs or food or sex or something. That's step one of recovery, admitting the mess, admitting is hard. Facing reality is tough. Realizing our failures is painful. So just for fun, I checked the antonym of acceptance, and I found discord, conflict, defiance, opposition. Oh, man, none of it was good. And so do I really mean that the opposite of acceptance sucks? Yeah, I do. Are you sure? Yeah, I am. What do I need to accept today? Really, personally, you, what do you need to accept? For if acceptance is the face that launches a thousand ships, maybe you might be one of them today. And it's worth a thought for church or its end. This is John Bash. Love someone today and enjoy God. that brings us to the close of another edition of Church Hurts and surely leaving us with a lot more to question and wonder about, think about. Next week we're going to take in a trip overseas as we travel to London, England with our guest who's going to give us a tour and maybe a perspective from across the pond. Make sure you don't miss that one. As usual, our host Dr. John Bash is available want to continue the conversation he's a shepherd with standing stone a nonprofit ministry committed to caring for pastors 
some Christian leaders at risk of leaving too soon. And if you've got a story, well, we'd like to hear it. Come visit us at churchhurtsand.org, where there's a place for you and an audience to listen. For Church Hurts And, this is Paul Roberts, Morris County's only community radio station, OC Talk Radio. Dot net.